This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The moment when a child enters adulthood is a tricky time for every parent. Do you get involved when they make mistakes? Or in a bid for independence, do you let them figure it out for themselves? For Anthea Langelin, this question was one she grappled with endlessly. Every time she reached out a helping hand to her son, Kian, he would refuse all offers of assistance or guidance. Eventually, Anthea made the tough choice to simply let him go his own way. Until tragically, one day in September 2020, she received the earth-shattering news that her child was missing. I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a What's the Story original podcast series brought to you with the help of the charities Missing People and Locate International. They believe that all of the cases in this series could still be solved. This is The Missing, Kian Langelin. 
Kian's mother, Anthea, would describe Kian's arrival in her life as a happy accident. I was actually a late, a late mother. Um, Kian came into my life when I was 42 years of age. So he was a little bit of a surprise. Um, I was in a relationship with his father, but um, we didn't stay together. So actually Kian grew up not really having any contact with his father. But he was a happy child, lovely, uh, quiet, um, gentle. Everybody liked him. Um, I had a few childminders who would look after him for maybe half an hour each day when I, I was coming home from work. Um, there was a bit of a gap. And they all said he was a delight to be with. So, um, yes, he, he, he was well liked. Kian was born in the town of Falcara, Donegal, in the northwest of Ireland, in 1993. It used to be called the Crossroads, I think. It sort of spread out into the countryside, but it's only a small, a small town with um, more pubs than shops. <laughs> Anthea is originally from Sussex. I moved away when I was 18. Um, I've travelled quite a bit. I went over to France and learnt French and then I came back and then I went to live in Belgium for five and a half years and then I went travelling, went to Asia, backpacking and uh, quite an exciting youth if you like and then when I returned to England I started to work with um, refugee children and that's what led me to eventually work for Save the Children Fund and uh, That's the job that it was meant to be a temporary job anyway. Um, So when I was made redundant from that job after, I think it was four and a half years, five years. So it was after that that I I went off to Donegal. There, Anthea met a musician. They dated for six months. A short while later, she found out she was pregnant. I was delighted, really, because I'd always wanted wanted a family. I wouldn't have planned to um, bring a child into into the world on my own, but um, that's what happened. And so, um, yeah, I found actually people very, very accepting. And uh, I I didn't really have any any problems, really, while um, bringing Kian up, you know. Kian attended a local school where he excelled academically and was well-liked by teachers and classmates. However, when the time came to focus on what he wanted to do after graduation, he found himself at a loss for what to do next. In fact, it was, it was a bit of a concern. I tried to sort of um, expose him to as many different things as possible. Um, we went on little holidays. I mean, he used to love... Like all children, love di- little boys love dinosaurs, and we went to uh, fossil beaches. And uh, you know, um, he loved the the outdoors. We went on a holiday once to the Burren, and uh, he loved that. He loved the outdoors, but but um, he didn't have any particular burning desire to do or be anything. And even that continued really up until the time when he ought to be choosing the subjects that uh, would lead him to do what he wanted to do. And I I couldn't pin him down. His father had been a musician and a teacher, and um, uh, I tried to encourage him to um, go down the music route. 
But at that time, he wasn't interested. And he, he said, no, I don't like to do that diddly-do music. <laughs> he could have gone to university. But at that point, he decided, no, he wanted to, learn, he wanted to study music. And I said, well, look, you haven't studied music all through your school life. It's going to be quite challenging. He said, no, I really want to do it. Obviously, he couldn't move on to do um, uh, university level. Uh, because he he was just self-taught, um, but he did apply to go on uh, an extended BTEC course, and uh, the Bath College gave him uh, the opportunity to do a higher level in the in the in the certificate. So that's he ended up doing that, you know, going to um, the UK to um, to do this uh, music course. He enjoyed it, but the thing is, uh, his mother had to go along as well because <laughs> the course wasn't a university course, so he wasn't going to get any financial support. So it, as he wanted to do this lower-level course, the only way to do it was for me to go to him and, and go back to work and uh, support him. So we had to live together while he was doing the course, you know, which was okay, but um, I think... Uh, Maybe it would have been a good time for him to be independent, really, rather than still living with his mother, you know. Whilst Kean studied, Anthea worked. I had worked in, in, um, in Ireland with um, autistic young people in the school system, so uh, I applied for jobs uh, in that area. I worked initially just working as a support worker for elderly people in their own homes and then I got work with the National Autistic Society and worked with young people who were moving on to you know secondary education and giving a you know, support worker for them so um, it was quite um, challenging because I was working all sorts of hours shift work um, Kian and I didn't see that much of each other so he, he was quite happy with that you know he he lived his own life and uh, our paths crossed occasionally for the odd meal and at weekends if I wasn't working A few years later Kian graduated He did okay but towards the end of the course he was struggling I think uh, with what would I call it sort of uh, social anxiety and and a bit of depression I don't know I think he was realizing that this course wasn't going to lead him to a career in music it was something enjoyable and quite a lot of that his uh, classmates were not planning on moving forward in a musical career it was just sort of a stopgap two years of doing something they enjoyed doing until they got down to something more serious and I I think that sort of threw him a bit. He didn't really know what what direction to go in. And um, he got a bit depressed. And uh, that was really the start of, of his mental health difficulties and, uh, and the beginning of, of a difficult relationship between him and myself because I couldn't do anything to help him. You know, it's something that he had to... Um, he had to get help. He was over 18. He was a young adult. And, uh, uh, you know, I couldn't sort of frog march him to the doctor and say, right, you've got, you've got to do this, that and the other. Um, you know, he had to uh, want to do that sort of thing himself. Um, and he was unwilling to, to take um, medication. And uh, he was convinced that 
he could deal with his mental health problems himself in a natural way. So through yoga and meditation and maybe uh, he went on a few meditation retreats and uh, you know he, he just felt that um, he didn't want to go down the route of, of um, regular medicine you know um, taking taking pills and uh, we used to call them happy pills he didn't want to take pills he wanted to try and deal with um, deal with his problems his way you know Kian's friends from back home were concerned about him, but he refused to let anyone in. He had a great uh, group of, of friends who would contact him all the time. I mean, he, he very rarely picked up the phone to say, hey, can I come over or would you like to come over? Eventually, Kian stopped replying to his Irish friends' texts. He didn't make any effort to keep in touch. And uh, by the time he'd finished the course... I think he'd, he'd sort of lost contact with some of his pals, you know. You know, you're, you're his mother, but you're not his, his keeper, so, so to speak. When they get to be adults, they've got to make, you know, they make their own choices. But obviously I would say, oh, have you heard from, from Patrick or Kieran or, you know, whatever, and it's, oh, no. But then, you know, he, he wasn't keeping in touch with, with, uh, with people. I was quite concerned about him. I think he was getting withdrawn. And um, actually, I, I, I was a great believer in when you've got problems yourself, sometimes doing, doing things for others um, can help you help minimise your own problems. So I suggested that he might like to do some voluntary work overseas which he accepted, actually. It was a bit of a struggle to get him to do it, but he did go. He went to Tanzania for three months um, on a work experience um, in schools over there. So there were five of them, and they were all working in schools, helping kids with their curriculum. He was living in a situation where he saw a lot of poverty around him, and, um, you know, I just uh, I thought that that actually would um, would help him realise that, that uh, his problems weren't quite so, so dire. Anthea hoped that Kian's trip overseas would give him a new lease of life, but it proved to be short-lived. His mood wasn't any better. He hardly talked about um, uh, Tanzania. And he didn't go to the reunion that they all had. They all the, all the volunteers had a meeting and he didn't go to that. He didn't keep in touch with any of the other volunteers and uh, it was just all a bit of a disaster, really. So, um, and things were not improving between him and me because he, he didn't know what he wanted to do. He, uh, you know, he tried various little jobs which didn't work. Uh, he... He, you know, he got sort of a, a Christmas job working in a, a card shop, and then he had to ask the people to, if he could work in the stock room rather than in the shop front, because he couldn't cope with all the people. And um, I was trying to encourage him to maybe see a doctor or to talk about, you know, talking therapies to try and get him over this social anxiety that he was feeling. And um, you know, it was it was causing a bit of a problem between the two of us because he, he just thought I was interfering and um, I just felt I was trying my best to 
to find a solution for him. But, um, you know, it, obviously we couldn't have carried on living the way we, we were. Anthea thought that perhaps returning to Ireland, the last place she knew her son had been happy in, might be the best course of action. And eventually I said to him, well, whatever, let's, we've still got the house in Donegal. Why don't we go back home? Maybe, you know, you could pick up where you left off over there and, uh, and everything's familiar over there. So maybe life won't be so difficult. So that's what we did. Sadly, things didn't work out that way. No, it was actually not a good move. I, I had thought that it would have been, but um, he just withdrew more and more and uh, started to be um, just act very strangely. I mean, he decided that he only wanted to uh, eat organic food, for example, and um, he wouldn't touch anything that wasn't organic. And uh, I said, well, what about growing your own food? I said, we could get some, um, you know, we had a garden and uh, I said, we could we could build some raised beds and... Uh, uh, you could grow your own food and, and make sure that it's all fresh and organic, you know. And uh, he, he thought that was a good idea. So we went and did that. And then he was saying, oh, but the soil wasn't organic. So <laughs> he brought problems up all the time. And uh, and it was just, just very, very difficult. Finding key and work to keep him occupied also proved to be a major challenge. I mean, he, he had to... Um, Obviously, he had to sign on, and uh, he they, the actual um, social welfare office were very helpful because they understood that he did have difficulty, um, you know, with uh, social anxiety, etc. Um, <clears throat> he didn't want to go and see a doctor to to be labelled as you know disabled or whatever or ill, so um, he he went along with whatever they offered him and. Um, there was an um, organic food production place that had been a tomato factory years and years ago, um, but uh, they started to grow all organic food um, there. And uh, so he was sent there to do some work, but it was like too much like hard work. He wasn't really used to doing any, any physical work. And, and he, you know, I think that they thought, well, he could just get on with the work himself. He doesn't have to interact with other people if he doesn't want to. But that didn't work, you know. He'd do it for a few days and then he'd drop out. And uh, it, it was as if he wasn't really able to do anything. And he had no desire to do anything. He'd, he'd sort of, like, given up. Kian's anxieties deepened and his mood swings were becoming harder and harder to anticipate. His behaviour became extremely unpredictable and... Uh, like one day I went up into his room, he was, at, he was out, and he'd smashed one of his guitars. And it was just in pieces. I, and I, you know, I don't know what to do about it, or to mention it or what. And he, he just, well, I did mention it. And I said, oh, I just saw your guitar, what happened? And he said, um, oh, I just got angry. I mean, he just sort of talked to me in a very matter-of-fact way. I just got angry. And that anger started to manifest itself more and more and um, just it just became very, very difficult to live with. In fact, I'd had to, had to call the guards on two occasions because Kian had rushed at me and, um, you know, uh, 
a one-time hit out. It didn't do any damage, but it, it frightened me. Anthea knew that something had to change, and she hoped that that change would improve her fractious relationship with her son. And um, the guards said to him, look, young man, you need to move out. You know, you're old enough now to live on your own. I think you should get a place of your own. And we talked about it, and um, we did manage to... It wasn't in the in the village where we lived. He, he um, ended up getting a flat in Letterkenny, which is about 25-minute drive away. <clears throat> and uh, it was OK, wasn't it? It was just for a single man, you know. It was, um, it was adequate. He could walk or cycle into, into the town centre. And uh, so, yeah, he moved there, and... I made the decision that I was not going to stay in Donegal. I spoke to my son about it. He didn't seem to be concerned one way or the other. But um, I just felt that I wanted to be close to family in my retirement, my old age. Anthea relocated to the Isle of Wight, 500 kilometres away, on the south coast of England, where she lives to this day. I have friends here and uh, support. And um, in fact, Kean did come here for a, a while. Um, he walked out of his flat in Letterkenny. Uh, I got a phone call from the, the person he was let, you know, renting the, the flat from saying that he'd just walked out and he'd, it, there was a whole pile of letters just behind the, uh, you know, the, inside the letterbox. Um, he hadn't paid his rent and he'd just walked out and uh, had no contact with anybody. So that was like the first time Kean went missing. It turned out that he ended up actually in um, Amsterdam, which is one of the places where he had been to, for a meditation retreat. So he'd been back there for another retreat and he was found by social workers at the airport and they um, contacted me as his mother because I think he must have given them details of, of my details. And they said, look, he's, he's, he's here. He's got a passport, but he's got no ticket and he's got no money. And he's wandering around rather aimlessly and we don't know, you know <laughs> what to do. So I said, well, you better put him on a, on a flight Kean eventually ended up reuniting with Anthea on the Isle of Wight, and she could tell immediately that he was not in a good place. It was evident that Kean really was not well. He wasn't thinking straight at all. He he was not. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, uh, you know, what had made him the way he he was. But it, obviously, his mental health problems were, had had exacerbated and. Um, I had to say to him, either you get some help, I'll give you all the support you can possibly get, but you need to go and see a doctor, you need to go and see somebody, um, because obviously things are not right. And he refused. And I said, well, look, this is the only option. I said, I, I, I said either you know you do that and you get my help and the support of a doctor and the system, or... I will give you your ticket wherever you want to go. And he said, well, I want to go back to Donegal. So that's what happened in the end, because he absolutely categorically refused any help. 
Kean would not consider therapy or antidepressants, but he was open to addressing his issues via more experimental routes. One of the retreats that he went to in Amsterdam, they offered a substance which is available in, in the Amazon. I don't know if you've ever heard of ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is a plant-based psychedelic originating in South America, which some believe has spiritual and healing properties. Ayahuascan retreats, where people travel to countries like Peru and Brazil to ingest it in tea form, are quite popular, though it's not for the faint-hearted. Lengthy bouts of nausea, vomiting and diarrhoea are to be expected, accompanied by intense hallucinations. I did a, quite a bit of research into ayahuasca and, uh, and this, this retreat where he went to, and they want to be absolutely sure that the person that's going to take part and participate in this is not on any sort of um, antidepressants or medication. And I don't know whether Kian was, uh, was honest about the fact that he had been on, on antidepressants or what, but I don't think that that experience helped him at all. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Anthea checked in on Kian often. I asked him if he needed anything in the house and, uh, you know, he, well, I was in touch with the social workers as well, you see, because they would say, oh, they've got this place for him. Would I be able to buy him a TV? And I said, yes, no problem organized the TV to be sent, and then he ended up selling it, and he didn't want a TV. Kean decided to leave Letterkenny and return to Donegal. He initially stayed with friends of friends, and then he got in this flat, which was, he would have had it for the rest of his life had he, had he wanted it. 
it was sort of on an estate they'd allocated a certain number of of flats or apartments or and houses for people who were vulnerable i was had been so relieved that he had at least a roof over his head for the you know the rest of his life if if that was going to be the case um but uh, he stayed one night in it under the stairs he didn't even go up into the bedroom he stayed under the stairs for one night the following day, Kean walked out of the flat and never returned. You know, I mean, the social workers were so upset because they'd worked so hard to get him a place. And then he ended up uh, living in this abandoned house. There was an estate agent who sort of uh, looked after this house and he gave Kean permission to stay there. But it was, it was in a you know, pretty bad shape this place but um anyway that's he he chose to live there social workers um were involved and uh they were helping him with his benefits and uh, for a while he was on um sickness benefit and uh the social workers then worked really hard to try and find um a place for him to live and this was just at the beginning of covid Anthea eventually made her way to Donegal to check in on Kean in person. After that, once he was he was living in this abandoned house, he didn't want me to see the house, um, but so I only saw him, you know, out, bought him lunch and went for walks and things like that. Tried to talk to him, <clears throat> but he was very very difficult to talk to. It was sort of monosyllabic answers, yes, no, and that was you know I did all the talking really. So that was the last time I saw him. Uh, that would have been about a year before he went missing. Then, in late September 2020, Anthea received a troubling phone call. Somebody said that he'd gone into um, Letterkenny Hospital and he'd come out and nobody had heard anything from him. So I contacted the guards and it, they put out the message that he actually hadn't been seen since he left... He left the hospital. Kean had been in and out of Letterkenny Hospital a lot over the years. Sometimes he he did something that he, he thought would would get him into hospital, rather than just go there and say, "Look, I need, I want to check myself in voluntarily." It was just so so sad because there's nothing. There's just nothing anybody would do. He wouldn't listen, and yet. He'd gone past the stage of wanting to do anything to help himself at that stage, you know. Even though Kian was ostensibly on his own in Falcara, he had people looking out for him. It was really quite extraordinary how everybody kept an eye out for him and, you know, paid forward meals at the local cafe and stuff like that, you know. There was a, there was a young, uh, um, not a young man, a, a middle-aged man who'd befriended him and Kean used to occasionally stay at his, uh, he had a little house around the corner from where Kean stayed, and he stayed there occasionally with him. And uh, he became very fond of Kean and tried to help him. But um, anyway, he called me to say that Kean was due to come out of hospital and he uh, nobody had heard of him. Um, they didn't know where he was. And then, so I called, contacted the guards. The police quickly put together Kean's last known movements. He spent that night in a cheap hotel in, in Letterkenny, and then the following day 
he apparently got a taxi from Letterkenny to Dunfanaghy. And that was the last sighting of him where he was dropped off in Dunfanaghy at 10.30 at night. Dunfanaghy is the next town along from Falcarra, where Kean grew up, and it was a place he was well acquainted with. And it's the, the town where the, um, the social welfare office is, so Kean would have been quite familiar with, with Dunfanaghy, and he, he used to go to you know, local coffee shops. He would have been known in Dunfanaghy um, because he used to you know, have a cup of coffee when he went to sign on or, you know. When she got the news of her son's disappearance, Anthea set off immediately from the Isle of Wight. The search for Kean commenced at the height of Ireland's COVID-19 lockdown restrictions. I had to self-isolate for two weeks, so I, and um, I couldn't really join the searches. I could drive to where the search was going to happen, and um, all the local people were out with their dogs and friends and you know, looking for Kean. Um, so there were land, air, and sea searches that we had um, divers and we had air, a, f- a flying club that went over to, you know, looked at a whole area for two or three days after he went missing and there was no sign of him. Being confined to her car whilst others tried to locate her son was an excruciating experience for Anthea. Watching volunteers search the cliffs and valleys of Dunfanaghy for any sign of Kean through a windscreen, unable to participate, was a torture she wouldn't wish on her worst enemy. Oh, it's just awful, awful. I mean, there was a woman who came up to the car, knocked on the window and said, oh, come in for coffee. I said, I can't, you know, I can't because of the COVID, you know, and uh, it was just, it was just sitting, I was sitting in the car watching people go you know, with their dogs. And, and it, it was very moving too because there were an awful lot of people that I knew. People had come over from Falkara and, uh, you know, my um, my goddaughter lived in Dunfanaghy. She was there with her sisters and, uh, you know, it was, it was a tremendous amount of support. So I did get support, but it was just... I would have loved to have had a hug, you know, <laughs> and I, I couldn't get close to anybody. The taxi driver had dropped Kean off a stone's throw away from a peninsula called Hornhead. Anthea knew the cliffs well. Yeah, it was a fabulous place. You get up the top, you felt like you were on the top of the world, you know, it was lovely. By the time Anthea was permitted to leave her vehicle a fortnight later, the search for Kean had largely wound down. But that didn't stop her from combing over all of the same places herself. And then I just got, you know, went up to Hornhead and cried my eyes out and, you know, went to visit some friends, had a few hugs, and um, then I had to come home. I had to come back. Before she returned home, Anthea made several media appearances in an effort to keep her son's case in the public eye. I did one of those interviews, uh, you know, the five-minute interviews on the TV to announce Kean's disappearance and they showed his photograph and all the rest of it. And then I did quite a lot of interviews, Highland Radio and various newspaper interviews, you know, but as much as I could, but uh, it was hard because I was on my own, really. Anthea kept in touch with the Irish authorities, checking in regularly 
for updates on Kian's whereabouts, but sadly, none came. The time passed slowly. She did her best to stay positive, but she thought about her son and where he could be constantly. And then three years after Kian's disappearance came a development. The strange thing is that last October, this just like October just gone, whenever there's a um, you know an anniversary coming up, either the anniversary of Kian's going missing or his birthday or Christmas or whatever, I normally post on Find Kian, you know, on the on the Facebook group, and I I made a post and then somebody kept back to me. I didn't know this person, um, and she said, "Oh, I'll never forget that day." when I saw Kian get on the bus and, um, you know, I always wondered what happened. This woman's words stopped Anthea in her tracks. This was the first she'd heard that Kian might have taken a bus. And I thought, well, that's strange. What's this bus that she's talking about? So I contacted her and um, apparently she said that two days after he went missing, she was in Dunfermline. She had a, a, a stall, a market stall there. She sold bread and loaves and cakes and things, scones and bread. And um, she said she remembers quite clearly, Kian came out of a coffee shop with a coffee in one hand and a cake in the other. Kian liked cakes. He'd always had a sweet tooth. And he dropped the cake and she felt so sorry for him that she offered him a scone from her stall. And, um, you know, because he looked really upset, he'd lost his cake. Anyway, she then said that she saw him board the bus, uh, the Fedor O'Donnell bus to Galway. And I said, well, are you sure? She said, yes, I, because she said, I, I called the, the guards about it. She said that she told them about it. She contacted them to inform them that she saw him get the bus to Galway or get on the bus to Galway, whether he... He could have gone to Letterkenny, he could have stopped in, you know, Sligo or gone all the way to Galway, who knows. But anyway, she was convinced that she saw him because she was familiar with him. She, she'd often seen him at the Market Square because he went there to, to sign on at the, you know, Community Welfare Office. And then those days there, there was the market taking place and she had a stall at the market in those days. Anthea decided to travel to Donegal and meet this woman to hear her story firsthand. And she seemed completely genuine, not somebody who just wants her two minutes of fame or whatever, and that she was convinced that she did see Kian and that she did inform the guards. But I, I mentioned this to the guards and I don't know whether they... You see, they, they keep things tight to their chest a lot of the time. You don't know, really. They don't tell you... Every time they have a, a sighting or a, a you know a mention, they, they, that's for their records, I suppose. But uh, as 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 Kia's mother, I was never contacted unless there was a you know a formal a formal sighting. But uh, this on this occasion, I wasn't informed, and um, this lady just assumed that she'd um, passed the message on to the guards, and that was that. This information. Whilst welcome news felt like it came three years too late, Anthea couldn't help but wonder if they had exerted all their search efforts in the wrong places. 
that two days after he went missing, we could have been concentrating the search in Galway to find out whether he was on the streets, living on the streets in Galway, or, you know, Sligo or Letterkenny or whatever, you know. Whereas it just got lost in the, in the woodwork. Nobody knew. It's changed our focus now to Galway. And I'm, I would like to go to uh, Ireland again next year and I will focus my, my, my searches in Galway. Anthea is still holding on to the hope that Kian will make contact one day. It's the sole reason she stays on social media. He wanted to keep in touch via Facebook, which is why I've kept a Facebook uh, account. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really a great fan of Facebook, but um, I, I opened an account called Find Kian to, in order to um, spread the word about his disappearance. And uh, I've kept my personal account just in case he ever did want to, to make contact because that's the, that's the way he said he would make contact. If he did get on that bus, he, he, he's quite possibly living on the streets. I mean, he lived in, uh, in, in Falcara, in this abandoned house for nearly three years. You know, uh, and he wasn't quite off the radar, but I mean, I, I would imagine that, you know, he could survive, as a lot of people do. I mean, an awful lot of people live on the streets and you know, go to soup kitchens to get their food and they do survive. So there's a glimmer of hope that he's still alive, but I don't have any hope that he's he's happy and well, to be honest, you know. I haven't known him to be like that for a long, long time. That fateful day in October 2020 feels like a lifetime ago to Anthea. But the news of Kian potentially taking a bus two days after he was supposedly last seen, has renewed her belief that one day she may be reunited with her son. There's a sort of glimmer of hope. But, I mean, I, I go through my ups and downs. Some days I, I just feel he's gone. And that he maybe he ended his life on that that day or at Hornhead, and other days I think, well, he could be alive. He could be still um, living rough somewhere. But I think that's the worst of anybody who has a loved one who's gone missing, is that you don't know. It, you know, you just don't know what's happened, and that's that's what the killer is really. To anybody who had any idea, or even if they think they might have been wrong um, or mistaken, but if they have any idea that they might have seen Kian or know something about his disappearance, then please get in touch because you know that you can get in touch with the, the Gardi and, uh, and Milford or, or even myself or Missing Persons Helpline. They've been really, really helpful for me. I still have to keep hold of that hope that somebody knows and that my son is out there still. I mean, there has to be that hope, otherwise there's not much point in carrying on, to be honest. I mean, life does go on. I'm, 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 going to, I'm making the best of what life I've got left. I mean, I'm 73 now. You know, everything's packing up. Just had a new knee. <laughs> and there's, uh, 
but you know, life has to go on and I have to make the best of life and um, I will continue to do so, but it's a half life, not knowing, just not knowing what's happened to my son. And if I just knew one way or the other, that would make a huge difference. But um, I, I just, living with this, what they call ambiguous loss, is just uh, a nightmare. It really is. It's a, nobody understands, really, uh, unless they're going through it themselves. Do you know Kian Langerlin? Perhaps you might have knowledge of people living rough in the streets of Galway. If so, please take a look at Kian's photo on our website, themissingpodcast.org, and see if he looks familiar. Even if you've never heard of Kian Langerlin before today, you or someone you know might be able to help. Visit our website, themissingpodcast.org, where you'll find more information on this and every other case we featured in the series. On our site, you can join the conversation and help with the investigation. There's a dedicated forum, moderated carefully by Locate, where you can get updates on the case, share your theories and discuss the facts with real investigators from Locate International. The series is also made with the help of Missing People, a charity who offers support to the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. Anthea hopes that the information will soon arrive to solve this one. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episode was produced, written and edited by Jacko Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.